0: Latin American drug cartels, Middle Eastern terrorists. Can you imagine if they were to work together? I'm Cliff May, and I'm joined this week by a guest who is here to tell us that this partnership is, in fact, fast developing. His name is Emanuele Atalenge, and he's a senior fellow here at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies who focuses on Latin America and the terrorist organizations that operate there we sat down to discuss his work on this under-researched and under-reported and under-addressed problem and its many ramifications. This is Foreign Policy. Either the U.S. enforces some rules in the world or there are Every no rules. Every U.S. Risk. president has tried to diminish tension with Russia, has reached out to the Russians. Most of those have failed, especially when Vladimir Putin became the leader. They're still killing guys. joined the jihad in 1979 or 1980 or 1981 who are still in the game we are seeing a ramp up in north korean cyber capabilities over the last decade iran is basically putting forth these claims of nuclear innocence that they are doing nothing wrong that there are no violations and that's just factually not correct i am fearful for what happens to turkey now if you thought that it was dangerous that a coup might have toppled this democracy think about what this very autocratic man might do Most people, certainly most listeners to this podcast, probably understand that we've got a problem in South America with narco-trafficking, with drug cartels. And most people listening to this podcast also know we have a problem in the Middle East with terrorists, with self-proclaimed jihadists. What I don't think most people understand is how extensive are the connections between the narco and the jihadis. And I have with me here to talk about this Emanuele Atalengue. He's a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Thanks for being here. How did you begin to get a notion that there was this developing relationship between Middle East terrorists and narco-trafficantes in Latin
1: America? It's great to be here. Uh, thank you, Cliff. Uh, uh, there are several cases Uh, large cases that involved uh, cooperation between narcos and jihadis and most invariably they they involve Hezbollah. Hezbollah seems to have become um, a sort of uh, a combination of the Western Union and the Federal Express of uh, Latin American cartels. They are themselves involved in in moving um, and selling drugs but They're there and they're valuable as uh, service providers to the narcos because they have a global network based on family, clans, and and ideological links all over the world. And they can deliver the merchandise and launder the revenues for the narcos in ways that the narcos themselves can't. You know, if you think about the, the criminal syndicates in Latin America, let's say, the Zetas or the PCC in Brazil. These are organizations that may have, uh, you know, extensive control of of their own territories and in their countries they can kill at will. Um, they can do um, they can commit their crimes with impunity. They can buy local politicians. They can penetrate society in many ways. But when it comes to delivering their cocaine to, you know, distant markets such as Australia, the Far East, the Middle East, Europe they're much less uh, uh, capable. Hezbollah fills that gap, and that's where you have this convergence between narco-trafficking and jihadi terrorism. Hezbollah provides the services, gets paid for its services, and the revenues it earns go to finance its military adventures in the Middle East, its terror attacks overseas, and whatever else they do. So just to be
0: clear, there's no
1: ideological convergence
0: here. This is a business arrangement. There are certain synergies, certain capabilities that terrorists have. Hasbel in particular has certain capabilities that the uh, cartels have. And what they lack, rather than develop themselves, they can contract out, and that's how they see it. And both are unbothered by the activities of the other, whatever those may be.
1: By all means, there there is no uh you know enduring uh, bond of of uh of uh, you know shared grievances against uh, a common enemy although you know it it's unlikely you will find uh, among the cartels people who speak highly of uh, america's uh, re- governance uh, role uh, in the world or 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 its uh, its model society based on the rule of law Transparency uh, and and free market society with fair competition, but I don't think that the cartels are particularly driven by ideological hatred for the West. The West remains, after all, their main market, uh, and Hezbollah likewise is not very interested in what the cartel's goals is. They are both into making money for their own particular purposes, and they find each other, uh, you know, mutually attractive because. Neither is particularly interested in respecting and upholding those those values that we just mentioned and uh, They serve each other's interests and that's all there is
0: and let's be clear Make sure people know Hezbollah is very much the proxy of the Islamic Republic of Iran. It is a militia It is a political party. It pretty much controls increasingly um, all political activity in Lebanon um, it is all of those things, right? am, am I correct?
1: I would go even further. I would say that Hezbollah embraces the the uh, um, all of the elements of a, of a totalitarian movement. It's a cradle-to-grave uh, organization that will uh, make sure that they are involved in uh, educating young kids uh, and shaping their minds in their formative years. It's involved in providing uh, social services from hospitals to uh, nurseries. It is involved in business. It is involved, of course, as a political movement uh, in in mobilizing people uh, and getting uh, representatives elected uh, into the Lebanese Parliament and into local councils and getting people into their the executive in Lebanon. It is involved as a, in in finances. It is involved in criminal activities. It is involved, obviously, in military activities. They have their particularly own particularly in Syria, particularly in Syria at the moment, but also elsewhere in the region, training uh, other. Uh, Shia militias that are being modeled very much after, after what Hezbollah uh, 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 came to be. And the bottom line is that they are uh, a Shia uh, organization that is uh, loyal to the principle of the Iranian revolution, of uh, you know, the supremacy of, uh, of the jurisprudent in, in guiding uh, a just Islamic society. They pledge allegiance and loyalty to the supreme leader of Iran. And in, in many of their economic endeavors in particular, and obviously the, the military one is known where, whereby Hezbollah is uh, in, in an integral part of the Revolutionary Guards chain of command. But in their economic activities as well, we see increasingly that wherever they go to do their businesses, uh, there is... Uh, an Iranian connection or even presence lurking in the back, not, not too far away from the activity itself. If I hadn't been reading
0: your reports and your articles on this, I would think that a drug cartel based in Mexico or Colombia would find it fairly easy to penetrate Europe. They can go through Spain, no linguistic problems, for example. In the Pacific, they could go through the Philippines. I'm finding it sort of surprising that Hezbollah has better connections and better uh, uh, capabilities for such things as drug dissemination and sales marketing in places like Europe and the and Australia than do the drug cartels that this would be that 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 they are that far flung and that and that, that their penetration is is that strong
1: well you know sometimes uh, you're right the cartels may have or some of these criminal syndicates may already have connections in place or or, or pre-existing partnerships in faraway places. But what Hezbollah can do, which oftentimes these distribution networks can't, is that in addition to moving the merchandise and making it available to f- distant markets, they can also very effectively launder the proceeds. Mm-hmm. That is something that the cartels haven't developed very well uh, on their own. They don't have this broad network of businesses that they can use to launder the money and so going to Hezbollah was a natural choice. They were already present in Latin America and they had this global network uh, uh, that uh, pretty much um, was present already in the places that the narcos needed uh, to, to distribute their merchandise and they could make sure that the money would come back clean in addition to to delivering the merchandise to the local market. So Hezbollah's presence in Latin America, first and foremost in West Africa, in Europe to a large extent, in the Middle East, obviously, but also their growing presence in the Far East. Um, And the tight connections between all of these hubs that are oftentimes family-driven, family-based, you have one brother in the tri-border area, one brother in uh, maybe in Panama or in Curaçao, you have another brother in West Africa, you have another brother in in Hong Kong or in Shenzhen operating businesses. Meanwhile, there is one other member of the family uh, who is maybe a cleric in South Lebanon, who is maybe a member of of one of the leadership uh, 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 councils uh, uh, locally, who is a cleric in a mosque, or who is involved in one of the many departments of Hezbollah. So you have this organic structure that is so tight because it combines religion, ideology, and family And it delivers much more efficiently than any other service provider. And so criminals naturally uh, find it uh, easier to outsource this type of activity than actually build it themselves in a way that would never match the efficiency uh, provided by Hezbollah.
0: My next question, my guess is you're going to have a very brief answer to this one. And that is, what is the UN doing about the fact that the Islamic Republic of Iran and Hezbollah, an important part of the governor of Lebanon, is playing such an important role in international criminal activity, drug, tra- and drug trafficking, and money laundering.
1: Um, it, it would be a very short answer, <laughs> indeed. Um, but, you know... I would never use the UN as the gold standard uh, uh, for for addressing uh, global global challenges like this one. I think we should really ask: What is the United States? What is Europe? I'm going to come. What are what are Western countries that have a very strong interest in limiting this type of activity? I definitely want to come to that, but I just wanted to get on the table that the so-called international
0: community and the United Nations is probably not unaware of these activities and is probably not responding to these activities in, in any way that, 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 is, that is meaningful. One other thing I do, before we get to that, that I do want to mention is counterfeit medicines, which you also have written about recently. Um, that's something else
1: that uh, Hezbollah has gotten into, yes? So, um, Hezbollah has been implicated in open sources as uh, as uh, as um, as, a, as a key player in distributing, selling um, such things as Captagon uh, in the Middle East. Uh, they have been involved also in, in, in counterfeiting what, other what is types Captagon of. What Captagon do? People know uh, it's a sort of a, it's it's a very strong uh, amphetamine. Mm-hmm. So there are you know numerous reports uh, of Captagon being used. In Syria, um, on, on on all sides of the of the battlefield, by fighters, because it them uh, more it, bold. it dulls yeah. their their pain, yeah. it makes them bolder, and it also apparently has an impact on their moral judgment. Hmm. Um, it dulls their moral judgment too. Not that that was necessarily that a, was not necessarily strong, uh, something yeah. uh, very strong to begin with. But the point is, it's been extensively used and. Uh, again i think that the 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 pattern with hezbollah is um wherever there is going to be a lucrative illicit activity sooner or later hezbollah will take an interest in it whether it's counterfeit medicines whether it is illicit cigarette trade whether it is drugs the um the ground zero really of hezbollah's um, illicit activities uh, is the tri-border area of Argentina, I was going to get Brazil, and Paraguay, and in other know, words, that's where the three countries meet. The three and countries a sort of a,
0: a, a lawless area.
1: That say. is a sort of very much uh, a, an area that is uh, ideal for for this type of illicit activities. And in the 80s and, and, and 90s, when Hezbollah really took root there uh, uh, in the uh, in the uh, small but growing Shia community that existed back then in that area, and today has is, is reached pretty much the size of about 40,000-45,000 40, people. Uh, at mm-hmm. the time Hezbollah was, and Hezbollah representatives were mainly involved in the, the trade of counterfeited uh, clothing, mm-hmm. cheap clothing, jeans, t-shirts. Um, they were involved in the trade of uh, electronics, both authentic and counterfeited, uh, contraband and so on. Today you go to the tri border and what you find is that in addition to that type of trade, which has actually gone up in quality and level today, they you, you find all of the global uh, brands of high brands of, uh, of clothing and goods uh, and duty-free products, uh, both genuine and falsified, but it also got involved uh, uh, in the growing trade of of, uh, of drugs and weapons. And so, whereas in the 1990s, mm-hmm. that area was mainly known for kind of small petty mm-hmm. uh, contraband today uh, the flow of such deadly substances uh, uh, is is remarkably high and uh, the the local authorities um, let alone the global powers, seem to be a bit of uh, bit of the loss in terms of how to confront this challenge and Hezbollah so, thrives in this environment and it, so
0: they're getting increasingly sophisticated they're they're developing this business enterprise this illicit business enterprise and this alliance between middle east terrorists and the uh, various drug traffickers it's it's a de- it is something that is
1: developing and becoming bigger larger more sophisticated worse absolutely i mean just to to mention one case uh, one one important example which actually was successfully prosecuted uh, in the US. It is the case of um, 2011 prosecution after going after the uh, Canadian Lebanese bank, which was being used by a Colombia-based network run by um, Lebanese nationals linked to Hezbollah to launder drug proceeds for Colombian and Mexican cartels. So the money was being laundered through this vast network of companies Uh, in West Africa, in Latin America, and, by the way, in the United States, through the purchase of used cars from car dealers in the U.S., which would then be shipped to West Mm. Africa. And and then after this complex uh, structure would would get the money through all of these passages, it would go through this bank, and it would then be put back into the system. And what the, the court case tells us is that at the height of this ongoing mechanism, Hezbollah was laundering 200 million dollars a month of drug proceeds mm. for the cartel. So mm. this is just one case from six years ago. It gives you a, a sense of the of the size uh, and the capabilities involved uh, uh, in this operation. This was just one operation. There are okay. many more out there.
0: And while we're talking about oper- operations, just a little bit on who is Ali. Chamas, is that pronounced correctly?
1: Right. So this is an interesting case that emerges from, from the TBA. Uh, Ali Chamas uh, is, a, is a drug trafficker. He was arrested in June 2016, in August 2016. He's Lebanese? Or he's, he's Lebanese, mm-hmm. uh, but he lives in the tri-border area, or he lived uh, mm-hmm. at the time, married to a Paraguayan uh, citizen. Uh, he himself a holder of a Paraguayan passport. Um, which in itself is a a problem because uh, the ease by which these people can actually acquire multiple citizenships facilitates um, uh, their their cross-border activities. Anyway, he was caught at the uh, airport in the tri-border area on the Paraguayan side while trying to ship uh, 39 kilograms of cocaine to Turkey. And uh, authorities seized his phone. They started searching it with his permission. And it emerged that he was actually negotiating a deal with a US-based counterpart that would have allowed him to eventually ship 100 kilograms of cocaine a month to the United States. And what's remarkable about this, is now these quantities, by the way, they're not significant enough um, to make this case uh, uh, interesting. What is interesting is that, and this we learn from the court documents, A, he um, was running the trade for a larger organization based in Colombia. Um, we learned this because in the documents uh, that the court released, it shows that uh, on the day he was communicating with his U.S. counterpart, he was in Colombia and he was saying, I'm in Colombia to see my boss and this is what we can deliver. The second interesting thing is that he says we can deliver very quickly by air cargo. So, here's Mm. another problem that the quantity, you know, the quantity in itself is not important, but the the means justify the the interest in this case. Here we have an example of somebody uh, with uh, uh, suspected links with Hezbollah who's trading cocaine. Uh, He's a man of the world, by the way. He speaks five languages very fluently, including the uh, local indigenous dialect in Paraguay, which is unusual, to say the least. Here we have somebody who has traveled extensively around the world and in Latin America. Um, He has clearly strong familial connections back in Lebanon with members of Hezbollah. And he feels confident enough to send his illicit merchandise through cargo air commercial transport. To which countries? To the United States among the United States. In other he's words, He's going to be able to land in the United States with the, and there, we have
0: no way correct. to he's prevent these aircraft, to notice correct. these aircraft coming in and to correct. Dis- inspect he's,
1: them. He's saying to his counterpart in the United States, I can send to you 100 kilos a month, and the delivery system is secure, and it's by air cargo, and it's very fast. I can get to Miami in three, four days. I can get to Houston in two, three days. I can get even to Toronto in in about a week. So he has already a cargo delivery system figured out, and it's, again, you know, we, when we think about Narcos, we think about the Netflix series, we think about You know, little uh, twin-engine planes flying in and out of the jungle. We think about high-speed boats in the Caribbean dropping cocaine in the water for somebody to pick it up uh, a couple of miles off the coast. No. Here we have somebody who's putting cocaine in the cargo section of aircraft that flies commercially known and regular routes and delivers the cocaine under our nose, not through you know, a desert border yeah. crossing manned by uh, an illicit human trafficking network, but through the front door.
0: And it, do you guess or do you know whether this represents corruption at the airports or whether you know you've got little, I don't know, bunnies being delivered and they don't, they only inspect two and there's, they don't realize the rest of them are filled with cocaine. How does this get done? So
1: again, the I I. Took some time to visit the local airport. I was intrigued by how how easily this this person. Fought. The local airport where, in the tri-border yeah, area. Right, that they're leaving from, not where they're landing. Correct, okay. and uh, you know it it is it is an interesting place, which again highlights the oddity of of the tri-border. The airport has a landing strip that can accommodate 747s. Mm. Ciudad del Este, the Paraguayan side of the tri border, is, a, is the second city in Paraguay. It has about a half a million residents. It is, by all you know, accounts, a huge commercial hub. You can, you can go there on Saturdays and Sundays and you, can't, you can barely walk on the streets uh, because of the volume of, of customers going there to buy cheap goods. Just across the border, there is one of the wonders of the world, a great tourist attraction, the f- the Iguazu Falls, which are you know s- uh, s- second in size to Victoria Falls and are larger than Niagara Falls. So th- there is an enormous potential for for tourism. People fly in, and so have, having an airport that can accommodate mm-hmm. intercontinental uh, flights would suggest that uh, you know the people in the area would want to develop it. Mm-hmm. But you go to this airport and. It's a, it's a teeny tiny terminal that has only two commercial flights a day between the city and the capital, Asuncion, which is a 35 minutes flight away. There's virtually no passenger traffic. On the other hand, there's cargo planes coming in and out every night. And they come at night usually, which also is, is interesting. So it, it almost looks like those who control the airport have no interest in developing the airport itself as a business but they control it to make sure that merchandise comes in and out uh, uh, without too many prying eyes looking at it. But just to follow up my other question,
0: so cargo planes leave there and they land in Miami or they land in Toronto. Why aren't Border Patrols, Customs Agents, DEA, why are they not picking up that this is coming in? How is it able to just flow through?
1: So... There are some direct flights indeed, and, and it's, a, it's a great question, especially because these direct flights are operated by uh, Florida-based um, U.S. carriers. So why isn't there more, more control at the other end? Uh, if you can't rely on local Paraguayan authorities to do their job, at least you should ask and expect both airlines and uh, customs in the U.S. To, to take more care of this. Um, I don't have an answer for that uh, but I think that the authorities should start asking that question um, there are also other other routes uh, that uh, that move uh, merchandise around not so directly uh, one regular visitor of that airport is uh, a Boeing 777 from Emirates sky cargo uh, the the cargo mm-hmm. section of mm-hmm. the of the UAE based uh, uh, airline they fly once a week um, from Dubai through Dakar, and then they go around Latin America and Europe before they go back. So again, it's a question of uh, having authorities in all of these airports becoming a little more alert and inquisitive about the merchandise that goes in and out. Our assumption, based on our research, is that there is um, counterfeited merchandise coming into the airport of the tri-border area and based on the case of Chamas and other uh, other information we're getting, there is then dangerous merchandise coming out of their airport. So authorities should definitely look into this. And probing questions should be asked about whether customs uh, and security at airports are actually not uh, infiltrated in order to facilitate this transit. Now, My guess is that no Latin American countries are addressing this in a robust and serious fashion. I'm correct on that? You know, I think that Latin American countries, you know, each one their own way, are taking the threat of uh, narco-trafficking and corruption uh, more seriously than in the past, but they're failing to make that connection between Hezbollah and the narcos. Uh, They're prepared to confront the the threat of, of organized crime, or they recognize it at least. They're not prepared to see that behind organized crime, there is a service provider that finances terrorism. And that is the biggest challenge we face today, I think.
0: So that brings us to the U.S. role and the DEA, and in particular you write about Project Cassandra. Talk, as you will, about what the U.S. is doing, has done, and most importantly should be doing about this growing and very serious problem we're talking about.
1: So Project Cassandra was initiated over a decade ago and it was a, a combined interagency effort led by the DEA to actually go after these global networks. Um, we need to do a better job at the inter level and law enforcement level in recognizing that the threat we're confronting is formidable. We have uh, a a global, a global enemy that speaks languages uh, operates from the four corners of the earth, exploits the weaknesses of different jurisdictions, uh, and understands how to do that in a way that not even sort of, uh, you know, global independent auditors or, or corporate lawyers can. And so we need to have a response that is as sophisticated and agile on the law enforcement and intel side oftentimes we don't oftentimes we send agents to the region who may speak spanish or portuguese but have no idea what the middle east is about mm-hmm. don't speak the languages and so that is just an example of one basic challenge we face the second thing is that of course politics got in the way and so while the dea uh, seemed to have recognized that this was not just drug uh, trade uh, and and trafficking, but it was also something linked to terrorism. Uh, there is a, a, a some sort of resistance on other parts of the policy community in this in this country as well as elsewhere, to actually say that Hezbollah's drug trade is an inherent, integral part of what they do. It's mm. it's about you know it's it's the same kind of reaction we got in this town when when the IRGC tried to assassinate the saudi ambassador the immediate reaction was well no it's rogue elements mm. how do we know that the regime really ordered it well i think that we know very well that hezbollah sees these activities as integral that the commands uh, about becoming a global criminal syndicate come from the very top it's not just a side a side activity by some rogue elements who want to make more money on the side and so It needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be confronted, one. And two, I think the United States need to have a frank conversation with countries in the region. They are loath to consider Hezbollah as a terrorist organization. Not one country in Latin Mm. America has ever designated Hezbollah as a terror organization. Not even Argentina that has suffered two terror attacks that were, you know, sponsored uh, by Iran but uh, likely carried out at least partially also by Uh, Hezbollah agents, Uh, 92 the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires, 94 the the Jewish cultural center, the Amya bombing that left hundreds of people killed, many more wounded. No justice to this day for these cases and no terror designation. Terror designations are important because they enable uh, governments to actually have much more effective means at their disposal to go after these these uh, organizations. So I think that's a point that needs to be emphasized.
0: We've got less than a minute left. I'm gonna, that's uh, my final question. It sounds like the DEA also needs to be buttressed. Do we have at this point a good solid DEA administrator?
1: We don't, uh, neither do we have uh, a drug czar. And I think that uh, if, if uh, this administration really wants to take the challenge of, uh, of the drug pandemic in this country, whether it's opioids or cocaine more seriously, they need to appoint people uh, in those positions who have that global vision and are willing to put resources, time and effort to confront this challenge in a way that hasn't been done before.
0: Well, we've touched on a lot of things that are interesting, very distressing. There's more to discuss. We hope we can have you back as you learn more and develop more. You've done fantastic work on this. Nobody else has done what you've done on this, Emmanuel Ottolenghe. So thanks so much for being with us today on Foreign Policy. And uh, good luck and safe travels.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: As always, you can find this episode and you'll find future episodes of Foreign Policy by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. You can also listen via FDD's website or by heading over to foreignpodicy.com. If you like the show or if you have feedback for our team, leave us a review on iTunes or email our team directly at foreignpoticy at defenddemocracy.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you'll be with us real soon. Bye for now.